Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Mark Hay with Mark Hay Realty Group in East Perth, West Australia. Last year, he closed 179 transactions with a total sales volume of $79 million and manages 800 rental properties. His average sales price was $444,000, of which 39% were buyers and 61% were sellers. He has an eight-member team, one personal assistant, one sales assistant, five property managers, and one team leader. Mark Hay is the team leader of the Mark Hay Realty Group. He's been an agent for 29 years. In his best year, 2007, he closed 222 transactions worth $38 million. In this call, Mark talks about leaving school at 17 to start a milk vending business, becoming a real estate investor and paper millionaire by 21, then immediately losing it all in a market downturn leaving real estate for five years to travel, explore the country, and work odd jobs, becoming a real estate agent at 26, and focusing his career on small mom-and-pop real estate investors, his monthly real estate investment seminars, and personal financial snapshots, offering all-in, full-service brokerage and property management to investors, niche geographic farming investor condos, why telephone prospecting is his best source of business, expanding into commercial projects, land deals, and working with developers, competing in Ironman competitions with his 21-year-old son, and traveling the isolated desert gun barrel highway with his teenage sons on motorcycle, team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Mark. How are you, Mike? Hey, Mark. It's great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Mark, before we talk about what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. I left school at uh, age 17. I uh, bought a milk vendoring business and uh, rapidly acquired a few more over a period of three or four years. I then went and purchased a few rural properties and was very successful in trading rural properties and then at the age of 21 we had the credit crunch and uh, interest rates got to 18%. Everything fell in on me and uh, I sold up and was left with nothing at the age of 21. On paper I was a millionaire by the time I was 21 and then lost it all in a matter of a year. Uh, then I went uh, bumming around up north, pearl diving, truck driving, crayfishing, what you guys would call uh, ranch hand or cowboys following the rodeo circuit, working up stations up north, shearing, knocking around, travelling, and then finally came back and to Perth. I studied my pilot's licence and I went aerial mustering, so that's where we're a cowboy in the air, pushing the cattle up with aeroplanes. 
then I finally came back to Perth at the age of 26 and decided that there could be a real estate boom happening and we should get into real estate. So I put a suit and tie on for the first time in my life at the age of 26. With my new wife, we uh, jumped into real estate business in 1986. So you've been in the business for about 29 years? That's it. That first year that you got started, did you have a fast start or a slow start? It was an interesting start because I'd never been in real estate before. And if you understand, in here in Perth, it only took you two days to get your sales license and you were accredited to sell real estate. And then I ghosted under somebody else's actual real estate license to own the company and paid them 10% of what I was achieving. And so I just went in blindly into business myself. But I treated people the way I wanted to be treated. And I said to my wife, if it doesn't work out within six months, we'll pack up everything and we'll go up what's called the Kimberley Coast up north Australia and go fishing for 12 months along the coast and camping. In the first three months, Mike, we only did three deals and one was my own property, one was a conjunctional and one I sold to my sister-in-law. So things weren't looking too good and then things started to take off from there and so it was a fairly rapid ascent. What was the turning point, Mark? Why did it go from really slow the first three months and then it took off? As real estate, as everybody knows, it takes at least 90 days to get things going. So if I started prospecting on day one, I'm not going to get instant gratification and something coming through. So it took time for it to go into the funnel and, you know, solidly prospecting. And within 90 days, they started to whistle through. And then with 180 days, then it was quite apparent what was happening from there. So that inspired one to keep prospecting and going on from there. So just straight down to just getting getting the numbers early and letting it kick in. Uh, very good. Mark, let's go through some of your numbers real quick. How many homes did you sell last year? Just to be clear, when we stayed homes, I sell investment property. Investment property can be $5 million commercial property to $119,000 blocks of land and everything in between. Traditionally, probably 80% of our business is selling two-bedroom apartments in and around the city for investment property, usually not as homes. Having said that, you know, we sell multi-million dollar homes occasionally, etc. But we don't specifically sell homes per se. We, sell, we put them as investment units. And that's what we call them. And so last year, I did 179 transactions in that capacity. Do you recall the sales volume on the 179 units? That was just short of 80 million. Would you mind disclosing to us what your GCI was last year, your gross commission income? That was 2.1, Mike, last year. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you. How many properties did you sell in your best year? My best year goes back to 2007, and we did 222 transactions that year. And it's interestingly, back then, my average, if you understand, my average sale price last year was 444000 per transaction. Back in 2007, it was only 163000 so it took a lot more to get the numbers up there. But that was $38 million worth of turnover. Do you recall how many properties you sold in your career? Just short of 2,000. Mark, so that everybody knows, you're calling from Australia, and most of the folks here are in the U.S. Could you help us out and tell us where is East Perth, Western Australia? I live in Western Australia. The main city is Perth, which is a population of 2.5 million. And inside of Perth itself, we're in the suburb of East Perth, and East Perth has a population of 15,000. My office is in, actually in East Perth. 
which is on the fringe of the CBD. I'll sell anything in Broome, which is about 1,000 miles north of Perth, um, 400 miles east of Perth to Kalgoorlie. I, I sell down there. Uh, Esperance, which is about the same south of Perth. So I'm not constricted by um, geographical boundaries. That's really interesting, Mark. When you sell a property that's a thousand miles away, do you go and visit the property to see what it is, or are you able to do it all remotely? Initially, I will take a, a plane ride up and visit the property initially, take everything that we need photograph-wise, etc. And obviously, the key there is to have somebody on site up there as well that can actually show properties when required. But also, a lot of my business is selling off-plan brand-new product, and most of the time when we're selling brand-new product, we sell in the boardroom with uh, um, uh, investment analysis, a copy of the specifications, a copy of the plan, so they're actually visiting the site is immaterial a lot of the time. Indeed, I did 500 transactions over three years selling little farmlets about two and a half hours south of Perth, uh, once again remotely, and people just go down and drive over it themselves and have a look at themselves. And uh, eventually I got a salesperson that would actually do it and take them down from Perth. But a lot of those transactions were done without physically having to take the client there. They would take themselves. Your core business there in East Perth, could you describe that market to us? Unfortunately, uh, prices are trimming as we speak, uh, and our um, friends on the East Coast are experiencing quite the opposite. It's, it's going through the roof. But uh, no, our prices are trimming here um, due to somewhat a bit of an oversupply and a downturn in the resource sector. Our average price here in East Perth is just north of 550000 uh, the average property is a two-bedroom apartment, although there are, of course, one-bedroom apartments, penthouses and homes, but the predominant uh, uh, material that's sold is a two-bedroom apartment, two-by-two. Two. Average days on the market is 57 currently and extending as it goes. You said the, the typical property is a two-bedroom apartment. Are you in a downtown urban area with, with high skyscraper buildings? Correct, yes, and not too high, uh, high rise, but uh, everything from one or two uh, levels down to a bit further where you might get uh, a 10-storey building. So, yes, we've predominantly got apartment complexes and what we call strata-titled units. I saw that before, the word strata, and I hadn't heard that before. What does strata mean? I'm not sure what you've heard to the the, uh, United States, but if you've got a block of 20 apartments and they're all owned individually, then strata title, you own the title of the unit themselves and the strata and the strata company that runs it is the actual title that sticks that together. So the 20 apartments in the one block all are on strata title and the strata plan is the overall title for the 20 apartments and then we as strata managers will manage that complex. I think we would call those condominiums with a homeowners association. Yes, that's correct. That's correct now. You said it, Mike, yes. Do you have a niche or a specialization? We specialize in investment property, and there's a few reasons for that, Mike, is that here in Australia, at least, the statistics have proven that uh, a homeowner will sell their property every seven years. So every seven years, the seven-year itch, a property trades. There's no given statistics, but I've been in the investment market since 1986, and I, in my experience, find that people with investment property will either buy another one or sell the one they have every two and a quarter years. So I'm getting virtually three times the turnover with an investment product. 
plus an investment product, I get to manage the property most of the time. So then we keep it in-house, we keep in contact with the client and we get an income stream from the management. Then, because we're dealing with investors, Mike, I like that because it's not homeowners saying, well, there's too far from the school for Johnny or, um, you know, I need a pink bathroom or something. It's bought on the fact that, you know, it stacks up as an investment or not. And I've set myself to be an investment specialist. And I do seminars and workshops on self-managed super funds, capital gains tax, etc. How basically how to create wealth and optimize your property's potential. Have you always traded in investment properties at the very beginning 29 years ago were you trading investment properties or at that time were you selling residential no i've always handled investment properties and back when i started in 1986 the average price of the investment property was 15 to 18 thousand dollars is what i was trading in and there was no one in that market and i actually coined the phrase purse leading home unit I, I, i used to call myself a home unit specialist and i put it to Perth's leading property investment specialist. So that encompassed whether or not we were going to buy it, sell it, or manage it for the client or show them how to extract the equity from that next to buy the next investment. If I understand your business model today, Mark, you said 80% of your business is selling a single unit to an investor, so a small investor. And then the other 20%, I assume then, is selling multiple unit properties at higher price points. Is that correct? No, the other 20%, Mike, would be made up of commercial. I do uh, a good good percentage of commercial transactions to investors. It could be uh, vacant land. It could be land to develop. Indeed, we've got a $7.9 million block at the moment that's got a uh, title for 165 blocks to be knocked up on. So it's just that other type of product that we sell. And, of course, the occasional luxury home and uh, just the normal home as well. When we talked before the call started, I think you mentioned that you're working on a really large project right now. What's the biggest project that you're working on? It's $40 million, but um, that's a one-off. The most I've ever worked on before is $12 million, so that's really up the ante. And uh, as I um, work through this, uh, we'll see where it goes to, but uh, it's a 2,500-lot subdivision. And is that new construction? Is, is it already built, or are you building it out? That's in global with the with the uh, approvals in place, etc. And away we go. But uh, look, that is the high end of the spectrum. And uh, Mike, quite often these big projects, you put a lot of work into it, and they may not come off. And uh, that's where the downfall of this big stuff can be. So when I am um, uh, suggesting to other agents, I'm suggesting that you should have just for fun, if nothing else, you should have. I think big type scenario. So if it could be trying to get a big block of 40 apartments to sell or a, a big tract of land to sell, getting something big into the equation, but you should only spend one to three hours per, per week on that project because it could take 18 months to three years to come off. Let's talk about your bread and butter business. You mentioned that you're putting on seminars and workshops. Tell us about that. I have done that for 20-odd years. Of the 29 years, for 20 years I've been doing it. We make a charge to our children's hospital. We give a um, donation. They've got a, a voluntary donation to the children's hospital, so that qualifies. It's not free. I hate anything our industry that offers free, free. 
and so we get people to come along and I conduct everything from how to get so at the moment my next seminar is in about three weeks I've got a property management seminar and they run they all these run for about 45 minutes then I throw them open for question time for 10 minutes or so they break for five minutes and then we come back to the next one if they want or you know they go so through the day we've got five different seminars they can choose to go to all five or just one as they do so I do property management strata management wealth creation which is the nuts and bolts on investment property then I have a whole one dedicated to self-managed super funds, so that's for people in their retirement funds, how they can invest and uh, create wealth through that. And then finally, I do a combined one of commercial property and redeveloping. So that's for the more sophisticated investors to take them up a notch from there. They work very well because they work from two two avenues. I'm not there to sell anything to them other than the concept, and of course I have, um, you know, available material, and we're there to sell if, if at all. But I don't do a hard sell. I'm, I'm more give. I'm of the belief you give, and thou shalt receive. And so, with that mentality, you know, I give them a lot of information out there, and then we got to get a lot of uh, referrals come back to. Them. Then I offer to do what's called a financial snapshot with them. So they can come back later in the working week. I do these on a Saturday. They come back in the working week. You know, it'll take half an hour to 45 minutes. I do a top-down approach where they are now financially, where they want to get to, and then build a program of, you know, uh, buying four investment properties or whatever we need to do to get them on the right path. Or indeed, sometimes people come to us with a selection of properties they've already got, and so we show them how to tweak it. Or the other one is to take advantage through their self-managed super fund and how they can, rather than putting it on the equities market and leaving other people to trade or possibly lose your money on your on the uh, stock market is to get control of yourself and invest via real estate. So they work very well in bringing a constant database of uh, purchases to us, but also on the other slip of it, developers who I work out there with, I've got a database now made up of 27,000 people and that database is quite attractive to a lot of developers and because I run seminars to be able to push their product in there as well. You said self-managed super fund. Is that a retirement account? Correct. So in, in here in Australia, legally you've got to take 9% of anybody's uh, wages has to go into a super fund from day one when they start employment and that's up until age 60. And so the rules are here that um, if you've got $100,000 in your super fund, it's accumulating every year, you can actually borrow against two, another two-thirds of that and then buy property in it. And then when you retire, the first $100,000 each and every year income is tax-free. So that sounds similar to or a variation of what we do here with uh, an IRA individual retirement account, although it sounds like the employer is funding it. So maybe it's more like a 401k to try to give people a, some kind of perspective. So so you're, you're helping those folks redirect those funds into real estate, into a real estate investment rather than putting it into your stock market or bonds. Correct. And Mike, I'm not sure whether you had the same experience, but just after GFC, we had a lot of clients who had money in their self-managed super funds that were playing via the financial planners and financial advisors. They were playing with their funds, and these poor people lost up to 40% in their fund. And you know, I remember vividly some poor uh, lady coming in here, professional lady, she was in tears because she had 260000 there two years ago, and now it had whittled down to 120, and she was paying them a fee to lose it every year. Um, and that was, that was very common just after GFC. Obviously, shares 
bounce back, etc., etc. But um, a lot of people like the fact that they can take control of their own destiny and also put into bricks and mortar rather than the share market. Yes. Mark, you said you're you're doing these seminars and workshops. It sounds to me like you're doing a big long day, like five parts of the seminar in one day. Is that true? You're just going for five straight hours and people can stay for as long as they want? That's correct. Yep. So you, you, you get some of the diehards will stay for five, but uh, a majority of people only come for two or three. But yes, we do the whole day and that crammed into one day. How often do you do the seminars? Every four to six weeks. Is there a registration process? Yes, they just register at the office and uh, um, we also put it up on Meetup as well. I know in the States, I know uh, my coach Bob Bolin is very successful with Meetup, not so here in Australia, but uh, that is gaining acceptance as well. And they register, they must register before coming in. And then as I say, they have a uh, donation to the Children's Hospital and away we go. How much do you charge? What is the donation amount? It's up to the individual, and it's usually only a, a couple of dollars to ten dollars, etc. In the height of the property boom, I think I was charging nineteen dollars to sort out the wheat from the chaff with people coming in, and uh, there was certainly no resistance to that. And I also conducted some workshops in that period where I charged people for a half day, one hundred and eighty dollars to come and do the proper, to show them how to go about uh, trading property and/or developing, etc. How many people typically show up to your seminar? 20 to 40. And of those 20 to 40 people that show up, what percentage of those people end up becoming clients? 50% would have a face-to-face with me within a week. And of that, a third of those will come a client in some way. They may bring a property across for rental. They might buy a chain of properties. We might have to sell some inferior investments, etc. So it's a fairly good strike rate for what it does, but it also brings further people to me. So I'm constantly hearing that uh, people saying, look, you know, I came to your seminar 20 years ago or, you know, I'm sending my son because I came to your seminar, etc., etc. So it's uh, uh, just something we're noted for and that makes us a point of difference in the marketplace, which I always look for, how we can make our business of POD point of difference. So if I run those numbers just in my head real quick, it sounds like one in six, one out of six attendees becomes a client. Yep, that'd be about right. How do you promote the event? How are you getting the people there? Mainly the internet these days. In the past, it was uh, the uh, newspaper, but the newspaper takes very, very little these days. Meetup, as I say, that's starting to grow as well. But uh, we also put a footer on our any emails that go out from our office uh, about our seminar. And then uh, on the back of our sales flyers, we also have that all DL drops we do in the uh, PO boxes. We do that as well. So um, that's the only way we, get, we advertise it. Mark, you mentioned you have a, a rather large database, a 27,000 person database. Who's in that database? Well, because I've been in the industry for so long, people I might have dealt business with 29 years ago, but um, to qualify who goes on that database, and I'm very big about not clogging the database, and uh, I'm very much about, you know, I want to work people on the database or get them off the database if they're just dead wood. So if we've done an appraisal, we've taken them out to have a look at properties purchase-wise, they have attended a seminar, or we've transacted business, or we manage properties for them or we strata manage as well but they've had some direct contact with our office but 
if we send out memorandums as well, but but that I qualify that, Mike. If we sent out memorandums on a particular project or a property, they need to follow up phone call, etc. And provided they're interested and it's keeping going in the in the right direction, they'll remain on the database. But if it's not of their interest, they haven't looked at it or whatever, we delete them off our database. So from the beginning of our business, I've always been very, very big on database. Indeed, an example of how successful the database was is that several years ago, I was um, selling security type properties through prospectuses. And so people could share in a $30 million property by investing as little as $20,000 and get a 7, 8, 9% return, etc. So we, I'd simply post out the notice to my database and then they would come back if they're interested. Of, so it'd be a one-page flyer. Then they'd come back if they're interested and I'd send them a prospectus. And then they just uh, sign off the prospectus, send a check in, and the average was 66000 that they were sending in, but it was as much as 600000 twice to as little as $10,000. There was a couple that w- would have as little as $10,000, but it was great for super funds or whatever. But, Mike, over a couple of years, I sold $32 million worth of stock like that by just posting out in my database. So that really personifies how valuable that database is. And incidentally, that $32 million that I sold, because it was security-type scripting properties, unlisted property trusts, of the 32 million, I would say probably only 4 million might have, we could have channeled into other property. So it didn't really compete with what I was selling as in direct property. It was just an adjunction to that. So that just shows how valuable the database is. Well, Mark, it sounds to me like the way someone gets into your database is you must have either spoken with them or met them in person. Is that correct? Correct. Or no, not necessarily. We could have sent a memorandum to you. And you could have been interested on the, the phone, etc. because everything's internet-based these days. A lot of the time, I may not meet you, but I've, I've got a relationship with speaking to you and uh, send stuff to you. So, yes, you'll be on the database like that as well. But you're not there just because you own property. If you were to pull out some of the people in that database, if you were to pull out, say, your past clients, do you have an idea of how many people are past clients? Mike? My- I've got a brilliant PA and she has my um, database. We have it down to, if you're looking for an investment, sub 500000 to $1 million, over a million, over $5 million. We've got them categorized. So all of a sudden, if I get a medical center, I might have, in my database, I might have 400 people that have inquired on medical centers I've had before, and we can direct send that out just to those people so it's not just a blanket database it's segmented and that then when I get specific listings that I need to sell or I have specific requests of things I need to buy it's a very uh, targeted when I send send out to my database you're acting as a true broker where you're bringing buyers and sellers together and you're keeping a database of the wants and desires of the buyers and sellers so that you can match them up when you come across properties that meet their needs We've actually got a process in our office where when I bring a listing in and we actually produce and it goes up on our web, because we've got it categorized in our database, it automatically cross-matches. So we, if we bring in a property for $700,000, a two-bedroom apartment, etc., that might get cross-matched. The minute it's loaded live on our web, an automatic feed, and it'll either, it does it either way. It sends it out by email or text 
goes straight out to a cross match. So in my database over the years, I've said, you know, who would be interested in these style of properties? And it might cross match with 250 straight away without us doing anything. I'll give an example. On Christmas Eve, I had a special commercial for $350,000. I sent it out the night before Christmas Eve and 10 o'clock Christmas Eve as the office is winding up the guy came in and bought it for cash and sold. And that just simply went out by database. Mark, what kind of software are you using? What kind of software are you using to run that system? Okay, Mike, I'm going to hand it over from there because one thing you understand about me and I think part of my success is I'm computer illiterate. I've got a computer sitting on my desk and I can read my emails and that's the extent of it. I cannot send an email. I'm old-fashioned. I dictate by phone to my PA while I'm driving the car from appointment to appointment. I do not get hung up on emails and, and computers. So I've got great staff and you know they come to me and tell me, give me a short list of what systems we need, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, provided they've convinced us, uh, we'll run with it. I know our tracking system is called multi-array, but beyond that, I'm sorry, I don't know. I believe that one of the methods that you employ to generate your business and your leads is that you do telephone prospecting. Can you tell us how you've structured your telephone prospecting to be the most productive? What you must understand with telephone prospecting is that because of the years I've been in the business and the level of product I deal with at the moment, it's very much different prospecting than what I do now. So from a a top agent, elite level, that's fine. But for younger agents to hear this, you've got to start out with the simple ones, which is people who are trying to sell their own properties and advertising it accordingly. People are trying to rent their own properties. Just sold, just listed. So we deal a lot of apartments. So if I just sold a property in a block of apartments of 100, the first thing I'm going to do is get on the phone and prospect those people and tell them I've just sold it. I've just listed, I'm going to tell them exactly the same. So it's... Very hard, and I think it's harder here in Australia than it is in the United States, is getting people's number and getting them off the do not call register and phoning them. So I very much act like a detective and, you know, you track these numbers and you keep them like gold because the telephone is the quickest way and duplicatable way of being able to do business very quickly. So if you sit down in a two-hour situation, you can speak to 30 good qualified people. If I'm speaking to 30 FISBOs for sale by owners, they're bona fide people you know who's going to sell, etc., rather than trying to do it the harder way. But nowadays, my, my type of prospecting is I'm prospecting trying to get a developer across the line with a bigger block of units or getting the bigger picture of bigger land subdivision, etc., or getting hold of big organisations where I can go as a guest speaker to their organisation and actually offer my investment advice and then because their company's earning, their employees are earning a lot of money, we're looking after them tax-wise and we show them how to create wealth. And so I specialise with multiple sellers and multiple purchases. You said multiple sellers and multiple purchases. So I can understand the multiple sellers part. You have a developer that builds a project, you have 50 units, and then you turn around and sell those. How does a multiple buyer work? Do you get people that walk in and they want to purchase a whole bunch of units at once? Or do you mean that idea that you started with earlier that your typical buyer will purchase every two and a quarter years? Correct. So you're making it's like a you're making an income trial for yourself because you're showing them how to invest in property, and so instead of just buying one property 
once in a blue moon, every couple of years they're coming back and acquiring a further property. So they're multiple purchases. So most of your investors are buy and hold investors. They're not flipping the property. They're buying it, they're putting a tenant in it, and they're holding it long term. That is correct, Mike, but I can tell you that uh, it could be um, anything from a marriage split to uh, a tragedy of losing their job or, or a medical scenario or whatever. You find within five years that an investor needs to sell property for whatever reason. But by and large, yes, they're buying it long term and accumulating for the longer term, and that's what is a set and forget. Uh, but then the way I work with my clients is by the time they come to retirement, Mike, they might own six or seven properties and we start off with capital growth, higher capital growth properties in residential and then as we get towards retirement, then we're focusing more on income producing properties which are commercial and then when they come to retire, Mike, then we are starting to unravel and we're selling the higher capital growth properties, extinguish the complete debt on the uh, income-producing commercial properties and free them up. So if they had six properties through their um, income-producing life, they might end up with two, so then we get to sell the four at the end as well. And we're managing all the way through. Let's talk a little more about your telephone prospecting. You mentioned that there's really two categories, a newer agent and then yourself as the elite agent. If you're going to advise a, a newer agent or a veteran agent on telephone prospecting, how many calls should they be making either per day or per week? I believe it should be on a per day basis. You should be doing approximately 50 calls per day minimum. So that, that's making you 250 a week. And the numbers, unless you're in a special market elsewhere, etc., but here in WA, the, the numbers are something like this. For every 100 calls you make, you'll get five people to work with. When I say five people to work with, they'll be on your database. One might be invited to the, the seminar. One might be uh, able to um, have his property managed. One could be thinking about buying. One could be thinking of selling. And the other one could be you know, a bit of all of the above. So there's some sort of idea of happening there. And remembering what I, when I started out, I said, it takes me 90 days for one of those to come off and then another 90 days for the action to actually happen. So it might be 90 days they're prepared to list the property or buy a property and then you know by the time it actually comes to settle so it's six months before I get the income there so if I make a hundred calls I'm getting five not necessarily face to face but five consequences out of that and there should be one direct sale or listing for every hundred calls so every two days a new agent if he starts now and it won't happen straight away in six months time he should be doing a deal every second day that's what you said happened at the beginning of your career. It sounds like you got off on the right foot right at the start and you started prospecting and within 90 days, things started to kick in. I did. How did you know that at such a young age in an early part of your career? Had somebody told you that or had you read about it or did you just figure it out? That's interesting, Mike. No, um, I lost my father at the age of 16, so I had no mentor at all. As you heard from my checkered background before I was in real estate, I was doing quite a few different things. So no, it was all just gut instinct. And unbelievably, at the age of 16, when I was still at school, I picked up a book. And that book told how a dentist in Sydney actually purchased a few houses and put them together and then built a block of flats on it. And so that just seemed, and then he retired on passive income, and it seemed to me pretty smart to do at the age of 16. So I then had a general interest in investment property, etc. So I just self-taught, and I treated people the way I wanted to be treated, and just went out and did it. 
You were investing in properties early on between uh, 17 and and 21, and then it it fell out. But those early years, you had a lot of experience in the investment market. And so I assume it made that a lot easier for you to deal with investor clients. It made it very easy because you could imagine the age of 18 to 21, the prejudice or how a lot of the older agents might have treated some young whippersnipper going out and buying property, etc. So the best experience I got, I guess, was not just falling on my ass by 21 to you know make sure that I didn't do it again, but it was how I was treated. So I made sure when I went out, I would treat people as they should be treated, as I'd want to be treated, and I think that's more the key to the whole program. So, Mark, you're working with investors. I must assume then that most of these transactions are much more calculated and analytical and not as emotional as it would be, say, selling a residential house. Yes, but on the same token, 80% of my clients are what I call mum and dad investors who know that property is good. You know, they saw saw their parents buy something for $10,000. It's now worth a million dollars, you know, 40 years later, etc. Um, they've done something themselves and they want to get into property. So certainly you get the occasional engineer and accountant and that that will go through at the nth degree. Yes, we have investment analysis, etc. But, you know, I, I'd rather do things on the back of a cigarette pack type scenario than given these wonderful, spunky, coloured, programs from a computer that show you what can happen because I'm sure you've probably got in the States, but we've had these wealth educators that charge people 18, 20 grand to, um, you know, be mentored to buy them and tell them where to buy property and how to do it, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all a lot of polywaffle, unfortunately, and people end up uh, out of pocket. So I go out of my way to keep it really simple. But yes, it is It is analytical compared to buying or selling a house, but it's really not that convoluted either. And I try to dumb everything down. So when I have my investment seminars, the first thing I try to do is demystify because everybody tries to make you know negative what we have in here Australia called negative gearing or capital gains tax or depreciation and you know they try to make these things sound all convoluted and you need these special people etc etc I just try to make it in layman's terms and that's probably another key to the success because majority of my clients are mum and dad investors. When you're talking to the, the mom and pop investor, I assume the, the majority of time, you said 80% of the time, you're selling a single unit, two bedroom rental property. Correct. What are the highlights that you want to talk about during that conversation? Are you talking about cash flows? Are you talking about appreciation? What, what are the things that you want to talk about and how do you present those? First off, I'll do an analysis of the client. And when I say an analysis, it's just simply asking you, how young are you? When do you see retirement being? What big ticket items have you got coming along? You got kids to go to uni, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, when you retire, what is your expectation of retirement? And you know, I've had everything from twenty thousand dollars a year income to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year income. Here in Australia, the average is seventy to eighty thousand dollars a year income for a couple. So I, I go, I go to the end point. So when you retire, picture what retirement is. Is it travelling around Australia in a caravan? Is it flying to Vienna, eating caviar? What is it? And so when I break it down from there, and I work out where they want to get to, then we come back and work out how to get there. And I guess that's the the approach I work because all property is a good investment, but not all property is suited to the client. So I try to match the property to the client by understanding the client. So, you know, 
the first meeting is to analyse the client and analyse what they, they really need to look at. Then I'll give them a couple of options to go away and think about before we even seen a property. So I might give them half a dozen brochures and then they might have to... Because if they're going to be a, a, a hands-on investor, we might want to look at their tax structure, Mike. So we might need to say, you should be putting that in a property trust. Okay, You should be actually making up a discretionary trust. So we will look at that because making the, I'm all about making the right decisions now, not, you know, because most agents, unfortunately, don't understand investment. And that's what, where I was coming from when I, in my early career when I was buying on the other side of it before the age of 21 when I was buying. Agents didn't have a clue. Everything was a great investment as far as I was concerned. They would just sell you the product. So I want to understand the client. I have affiliations with obviously mortgage brokers, but also accountants and solicitors make up these correct structures and give them the advice. Because if we get the base right, we get the foundation right, as I have done with clients, we cannot save or make them tens of, we can save or make them hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars by doing a right this end. Because if you get in the right wrong structure and 15 years down the track, unwinding it and you're faced with a bill of $500,000 for tax, etc. So it's just understanding the client and that's the biggest conversation I have. I tell them, look, finding you the right property, that's the least of our worries. Let's get the structure right. And then even when we get the structure right, Mike, we're dealing with a couple generally. And, you know, let's say, you know, they've got a, uh, a mandate to go and borrow $750,000. But one of the party, and it's not always the wife, can be the husband sometimes, can be very, very scared about going out on a limb and you know, borrowing against their home that they've been in for 15 years and jeopardising that to go and put it into some other investment property. So I have what's called a sleep test. So somebody's got $750,000 to spend, maybe we'll start off with a $250,000 investment and ease them into it, and six months later or 12 months later, then we go and do it again for 500000 or another 350000 so we ease them into it. So it, I guess the whole fundamental is based around the client's needs and understanding the client, and finding the product is the least of their worries. The only product that is really hard to find at the moment is if somebody is towards the end of their working life and we need some really good cash flow positive commercial properties, they are very hard to come by. Other than that, finding all the other properties is very easy. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. So it sounds like you start at retirement. It sounds like you asked the couple, how much, how much income do you want to have when you retire? Then you take that income and back it into, say, a clear and free property. You know now how much clear and free property they need at the end. And then you bring that into a plan to today of how many properties they would need to acquire between now and retirement and have them paid off in that time frame. Is that, is that how you go about it? That's exactly right. So on my slide for my um, property investment seminar, the one about creating wealth, the first question there is, so as a couple, how much do you think you need to retire on? Now, most couples sitting around at the seminar have probably really never had that meaningful discussion. The next thing I say is, look, unfortunately, I see way too many people aiming with great accuracy at nothing because they don't have a plan. So what is your plan to achieve that 
income of eighty thousand, passive income of eighty thousand, whatever it is. So I put a bit of a scare into them, and then you know the statistics are probably no different in America. But ninety-eight uh, percent of people will retire without enough funds to enjoy retirement as the way they want. So it's only two out of a hundred. So I put that statistic out there, and then I just sort of jolt them into thinking about it. And then the biggest thing I give them from my seminar is plan to have a plan. And then you will help them put together that plan in the uh, financial snapshot. Correct. Give them a financial snapshot of where they're at now. Give them a sneak of what it could look like in the future and build a realistic scenario around that to start off with small stepping stones. It's not a crash, boom, bang. It's a slow and steady wins the race. And that's what property is all about. How many of the people that you help them get on one of these plans, you help them purchase the property, what percentage of people then have you manage the property? We would have 80, 80 to 90% of that. And the ones we would lose, either they already have properties elsewhere or they've got friends in the family doing it or they do it themselves. But the majority we will manage because it's, a, it's an all-in service. On the management side of your business, how have you structured that? Are you doing the day-to-day management? Do you farm that out to someone? Do you have someone on your team that does it? Look, I've got somebody that's been with me 10 years that actually oversees that, and then we've got uh, four great property managers, one that's been with me six years, another one three years. So, no, that's all done within the operation, but I train the PMs on scripts and dialogues probably 45 minutes a, a week, and oversee the accounts 15 minutes a week, and that's about it. How many properties do you have under management? In total would be 800. So 800 properties under management, and it takes about four four or five people to run that. Correct. How are you structuring your management fees for your investors? In Australia, I think we do a little bit differently to you guys, but traditionally we're charging somewhere between 9 to 10% of the weekly rent. Then when we lease it, we charge a two-week leasing fee, and then we charge auxiliaries, which is maybe postage and petties and uh, advertising, etc. And unlike in the States, our sales agents do not manage properties or lease properties. It's all done by a property manager. How many team members or how much help do you have on the sales side? For me, I have my PA, like an executive assistant, and one sales assistant. And so the sales assistant does the selling. So your PA helps with the paperwork and the sales assistant helps with taking buyers and sellers out? Predominantly, I work with the sellers and the agent works with the buyers, predominantly. Mark, do you do anything special for your past clients, your sphere of influence? What I mean by that is, do you have a party or some type of get-together to connect with these people each year? No, Mike, I don't. The best I do is I send out an informative quarterly newsletter, status of the market, etc. And indeed, I've been doing that for 20-odd years, and some of our state libraries around the state actually uh, subscribe to that. So it's fairly well um, read. So that goes out to my past clients. We give a gift at settlement, but other than that, we don't do parties or, you know, gifts or anything. We invite them in once a year to do an overview of their own situation if they wish wish to. But ironically, until they're ready to purchase, very few people do that. They're only going to come and see us when their accountant said, look, you know, it's time to get a bit bit more equity and buy another property or, or they're thinking about it. Otherwise, you find very few people just have a general catch-up. 
Do you do anything else to stay in touch with your past clients? Do you call them on the phone or send out any other mail? No, unless they're in uh, where I've got something farming at that specific time or, you know, we've got a management coming or, you know, I don't. But if you understand, from time to time I have special projects that I think will suit them and so I will send them out and that will be an uh, email flash and it may have uh, a video of a new development, etc. And so, but it'll be, it'll be addressed, dear Mark Hay, it'll be like personalised, so it's as if I am personally touching to him, but I could send out en masse, you know, 10,000, 7,000, whatever it fits to that category. So they will get a couple of those through the year as well, which will be products that I think would suit them and they may wish to take advantage of. Do you participate in geographic farming? Are you farming certain areas? When I started off in my business, I started geographical farming and uh, those little units today, as I said, when I started, they were worth fifteen to eighteen thousand. They're worth around three hundred thousand dollars today. But from there uh, has come all my business. So, a good agent, I think, only needs a few thousand. Um, my farm area would have been less than a thousand when I started, and I concentrated, and I knew it like the back of my hand, and you know, dominated sales in in that particular farm area. So, rather than do the shotgun approach. I'd be suggesting that I'd rather do what I do well, and from there, as I proved, anything can happen. So you know, we're dealing with uh, multi-million-dollar properties from those. It just because you know, I can think of a few of my vendors down there. One of my vendors down there owns seven or eight hotels here in Perth. He's a major entertainment guy. He's uh, into big property development now, etc. Well, he own he himself owned units down there, etc. And that's how I still deal with him. You know, I sold a little $30,000 unit for him. So, you know, I, I think it's all about specialisation and doing what you do well rather than trying this shotgun and trying to hit everyone. Your original farm area, was it a group of properties owned by investors? They're all owned by individual investors. So they were just individual investors and uh, I just picked on it for that. And uh, when I started, I did both uh, uh, specific letters to them because a lot were over the eastern states and telephone prospecting and that's just how it started simple just prospecting simple as that and what you understand now is that in in a prospecting sense is that because we do investment property i can offer investment advice investment newsletter keep you updated rent your property or strata management give you a quarterly update and quarterly newsletter buy your property, sell your property, see if we can create more wealth out of the current equity you've got in it. So there's a few different things to add other than just you want to buy, or sorry, you want to sell your home in, in Fig Tree Lane. So once again, where I've set myself up as a business model, I'm just looking for other income streams and other areas that I can touch a client with. How did you pick the first geographic farm? What was your selection process and what is your selection process when you expanded it? Just remember, when I picked my farm area, I had no guide, no mentor, hadn't been in the real estate apart from doing some trading myself. Uh, I picked it from geographic because it sits on the edge of the Swan River, which runs through the heart of the city. And to me, they were dirt cheap and it just made common sense that it was a good place to invest. So probably more on gut instinct than anything else. You said it started at under 1,000. How big is the farm now? I still farm that area today, but now if I get a you know a block of units in Kalgoorlie, then all of a sudden I've got a little micro farm there. 
we've just launched a block, of, a brand new block, a $20 million project down at Atadar, which is down near the Fremantle. It's like 20 kilometres, 25 kilometres from my office. And so now I'll have a micro farm area there because there'll be people who want to sell their property out of to buy into our property there. I've got another 12 units in Shenton Park, which would be 10 kilometres from here, that we're actually, it's an existing old block, but our developers strata typing and we're selling them off. So there's about six other blocks of units close there and it's right next to a hospital. So I'm going to put that in the database and that will become another micro farm area because it just makes sense. And so I will, once I launch that project, I'll write to these guys and say, look, you already know the benefits of owning a little property here. Here's the stats of what's happening in Shenton Park and here's the opportunity to get on the grass level of this block of 12 units. And when I send a letter like that, it's not necessarily about trying to sell it. It's looking for a listing. Everything I do is looking for a listing, not selling. So though I'm saying, yeah, here you go, then I invite, you know, the tail end would be, so if you're interested in buying, selling, renting or discussing property further, feel free to give us a tingle. And so I use that as a way in to talk to more vendors. I'm always looking for listing because I believe 75% of my job is to list. Once I've got the listing, you can control everything. When you've got a buyer, you don't control anything. Mark, in your farm area, how do you market specifically to those farm people? Are you sending out mail or postcards to them or are you calling them? How are you contacting the people in the farm? If we just take the individual property rather than the project, so we get vendor paid or marketing expenses here. Traditionally, we might get around $1,000 marketing. There's one particular website called realestate.com, which unfortunately seems to dominate everything, so it goes on there. So we get professional photos taken. We load it on our website. Then when the minute it loads to our website, as I said, that'll be cross-matched with my database. So we might have 150 leads that'll cross-match with that. But then it also feeds out onto 10 other websites, everything from our Real Estate Institute website to, as I say, realestate.com and a few others. So most of the traffic's going to come via that. We advertise the home opens via that. But then I am do what's called, in the old days, you used to call it Tell 20. So if it's in a block of 100 units. I'm sending a letter to the, the 99 owner saying, look, you already know the benefits here, just listed. And I'm just informing just listed because showing I'm active there, remembering, you know, if you, and so we've got a home open this Saturday between 10 and 10.30 come through. And then I'll also DL drop because... Understanding I'm dealing with investors, so most of the people don't live in the building because they're investors. So we'll DL drop the building as well and say, look, you know the benefits of living here. We do it on a Thursday. We have a home over on a Saturday. We drop it in on a Thursday. They clean out the mailbox and you know, we offer them to come to the home open. And then if there's a couple of blocks next to it, it's a great way that for me to actually proliferate from there and try and expand that micro farm area. And I'll say, once again, come to the home open. So internet is the biggest then it'll be my database at the same time. Then it'll be DL Drop and a Tell 20. And very, very minor part is we put a little two-liner ad in the paper. The paper is dead here in Australia, and I'm saying the same is probably in the States, but there is still some of the older population that will still read that. And so it's still a dying scenario. I would say the paper, will, we probably won't use the paper at all another year or 12, 18 months or so. But uh, that's how we line a property up to get it out there. Mark, you mentioned that early in your life, you were a real estate investor. The market fell out. You took a, a hiatus for five years, came back and became a real estate agent. 
Have you continued to invest in real estate for yourself? Most certainly, and that's part of my advocacy when I'm giving investment talks or dealing with clients is that, you know, my farm area down Terrace Road, I own three down there myself. So it's very strong for me to be able to say, well, look, you know, indeed, in my wealth creation slide, I use the actual property I bought in 1986 for $20,000, and I show each four or five years I go back and dip back because of the increased equity, I borrow against it to buy more properties and show how the properties increased in that time. But more importantly, it shows how I bought eight other properties from that one property because of the capital growth in, within that. So I use that as, you know, I'm not here to sell you anything that I don't do and, you know, this is what I've done. Having said that, I haven't purchased a residential property for, I don't know, probably 15 years. I only purchase commercial property now because of greater income and because I've now got great greater capital growth than residential to borrow against to go into the commercial property. So I only buy commercial and I have extensive um, rural interests as well, which have long-term subdivision aspirations as well. Mark, for some inspiration, would you mind disclosing to us what your current portfolio looks like? Sure. Yeah. We own 15,000 acres of farmland, which is varies uh, from being able to subdivide into five-acre lots to 100-acre lots. And in the meantime, I see a resurgence in the rural enterprises over the next 10 years because of where we are in the Asian dominance, uh, Pacific Rim, to produce food. And also, we've got six commercial properties, which all have... So all the rural properties have subdivision potential. So they have an income stream from rural enterprises, but the long-term play is to chop them up. The commercial properties, the six commercial properties, all have long-term prospects of being able to be redeveloped, but they've um, got existing warehouses and retail premises on as we speak. They're on corner locations, double street frontages or substantial locations that will aspire to be redeveloped in the next 10 to 20 years. The residential properties I have are ones that also aspire to redevelopment in a big sense. So they might sit in a block of 30 units that's on the river foreshore in the shadow of skyscrapers in the CBD, but could be redeveloped in 20 years' time or so. We own our own uh, office premises in East Perth, and then we've got a couple of oceanfront properties, one, one of which is our home. Are those properties all cash-flowing positive? Yes, all of them would be cash flow positive, but I'll just put a caveat there. Our interest rates, and although they're still much higher than where you're at, our interest rates have been the lowest they've ever been for 25 years. There was a time here where interest rates unbelievably were 18.5%. So at the moment, yes, they are cash flow positive. But it's all subject to the uh, interest factor. And the interest at the moment, general interest, is sitting around 5%. Sounds like your objective with the majority of these properties is that you purchase them, they currently have cash flow, but you've purchased them for the long-term prospect of redevelopment and increasing the value. Do you plan to increase the value for resale or do you plan to increase the value to increase the revenues, increase the income? All for resale. They're all capital growth plays because... What you people don't have in the United States, we have called negative gearing, and that means that you know if you're earning high income, then you can actually get up to nearly 50% of your tax back by negative gearing property. So that's a greater um, factor for us to 
choose capital growth rather than income. Mark, it sounds like you've got a lot going on. Are you profitable? You, we're talking about your sales brokerage business, your brokerage and management business. Are you profitable? Yes, the uh, property management isn't as profitable as it, it could be because I'm all about attention to detail and um, a lot of property managers specialize and one will do inspections, one will do letting, etc. Whereas I have our people do the one for the whole client. So because the, the worst scenario we ever hear in the real estate industry is, you know, I can never get hold of my manager or they don't know what's going on. So it's one point of call and the client knows what they're doing. Understand, majority of those clients I've dealt with on a personal level to list or sell their properties. So we want to know that, you know, they're being handled at the right end as well. So not as profitable as it should be. That runs around at 22%. On the property management? Correct. Sales brokerage is a total different scenario and that's in excess of 40 so at the end of the day, on your sell side, if $100 comes in the top, $40 is coming out the bottom. Yep. Real quick on that, on the sell side, on the brokerage side, are you paying yourself a salary on the brokerage side? Yes, I am. And is the salary coming out before the 40%? No, it's not. But it, it is minor. At the end of the day... Um my percentage is, because of how it is with accounts, et cetera, and what we're doing at the time, we'll play with it where it needs to be from there. So, you know, mine just goes into the pool, if you like. Earlier on, Mark, you mentioned that you're getting coaching, and you've been getting coaching for the last 15 years. Who is your coach, and, and how, how does that coaching work? Understand, when I went into business at the age of 26, as I say, I never had anyone mentoring, let alone even guiding me how to write an offer up or do anything. So I was very much sailing by myself for many years and doing it by gut instinct. But ironically, I saw a video and I'd never been to any sales training, etc. And about 17 years ago, I saw a video and on there, there was Mike Ferry. And Mike Ferry had a gentleman by the name of Bob Bolin on stage. And he asked this one question. He was trying to knock Bob down on commission and Bob's simple answer was, well, apart from my commission, is there any other reason we can't move forward now, Mike? And that was like a shining light to me. It hit me brilliantly. And so I had to track down who Bob Bolan was, etc. Took me some time to track, track him down. When I did, I arranged to go and shadow him. And I think it might have cost 15 grand to do. And at the time, I had to put it off a couple of times because I've got five children and one of those was in between being born and had a few medical problems. So I had to put it off a couple of times, but I finally got there and Bob himself was a standard that, you know, I'd never heard him speak, never heard of him until I saw that video. And there I was going and shadowing him. And so he's been a huge inspiration. And without um, blowing smoke, if there's any uh, guidance that people can take, it's a simple one, and there's a book called Clarity online, and you know, for the sake of a few dollars, if you read that, if you don't get some benefit out of that just in your personal life, let alone anything else, and it's a very simple read, as elite performers in anything, whether it's sport or business or real estate sales, I think there's a lot to be learned from there. So Bob's given me many great lessons. He's uh, also been a brilliant sounding board because when you're at an elite level, there's... Um, there's not too many people at the top that you can share things with, you, whether it's a good thing, things are going good or going bad, etc. So it's always a good springboard. And 
Bob and I quite often discuss a myriad of things, whether it's dealing with you know, a development situation to something with my farm properties to something with subdivision to you know, something on social media. So it's not just about you know, KPIs and hitting, hitting numbers, etc. The coaching goes way deeper than that. So you've been in his coaching program now for 15 years? I've been 15 years. I think I've I, actually I went to the states just in October this year for one of his uh, super super groups. I think I've been across twice there, once to Sydney uh, to meet with him, and then he came actually here to Perth, and I put on a um, a big seminar in one of the uh, hotels here. So I, I did a two prong seminar for both investors, and then I did another one for real estate agents, and both Bob and his wife Lillian who is also one of the leading female real estate agents in the U.S., came as guest speakers here as well, and that was a great opportunity as well. So it sounds to me like you would recommend a coaching for any agent out there that's listening. Look, I don't care what you're doing, whether you're skiing, playing squash, swimming, a coach is going to make it so much more meaningful you know, give your purpose, etc. And the right coach, what I have seen myself, I've seen a lot of people that come to me, there's a lot of people that are now sprouting their life coaches and mentors and everything else. I would question seriously their credentials before I went there because I see a lot of people paying a lot of money to a lot of people that I wouldn't give to Bob with. with. And I'm not talking about real estate coaches, I'm just talking about general coaches, Mike. So it's a proliferation, it's all fashionable now, but you know, it wasn't fashionable to have a coach 15 years ago, but you know, I just couldn't recommend anything better to be, keep you on track, accountable as a sounding board. And uh, you know, I think Bob's results speak for themselves. He's had number one salespeople around the world many times over that he's coached and taken from woe to go. Mark, just a kind of a side note here, but did I understand that you participate in Ironman events? Yes, yes, I compete in Ironmans. What is an Ironman event? Ironman is uh, quite a long swim, bike ride, and run in the same day. Indeed, um, the famous Hawaiian Ironman is uh, the one we all dream of doing. So you're doing all three, running, swimming, and biking. How far are these Ironmans and how long do they take? Yeah, well, it depends how slick you are. But um, interesting thing and probably one of the greatest uh, joys of my life is I compete with my 21-year-old son. That's awesome. So 3.9-kilometer swim. So, of course, you've got to convert it uh, to miles. 180K bike ride. And then the marathon run, 42K run. Wow. How long does that take? Uh, the last one took me 13 hours, but I, uh, I, forgot, I forgot to put on my um, timing chip. The, the girls who were helping me pull my chime, timing chip away from me, I had to run an extra few k's, but I uh, should have done it 12 and a half hours, but yeah. Well, Mark, you mentioned to me that I should ask you about the four-minute mile. What can you tell me about the four-minute mile? Look, I use that as a benchmark, I guess, when... When people say it you know, can't be done, I'm all about thinking big and seeking alternates and seeking different ways. So I guess the history is Roger Bannister and you know, even his best mate who was a leading surgeon, leading doctor, said, look, the physical body cannot physically run a four-minute mile. It's impossible. He just said it's impossible. So end of the day, of course, uh, history went on that he did crack the four-minute mile. But the big thing is that why... 
in that same year another nine people were able to crack the four minute mile and ever since it's been coming down and down and down so I use that as you know the can do and of course Henry Ford uh, the T model Ford is named the T model Ford because everybody told him you can't do it and so he took the T out of can't to make it can so um I'm very much a can-do situation, so the four-minute mile personifies what I'm about, I guess. Going back for a second, you said you participate in these Ironman events. Have you learned anything from those Ironman events that you apply to your real estate career? The biggest thing you could take from it, I guess, Mike, is preparation, foundation. You know, without a proper training regime and foundation, and you've got to be very rigid. So you can imagine with a family of five, a real estate business, farming practices and that to fit in uh, the training schedule there's a lot of 4.30 starts in the morning when you could prefer to be in bed or something so I guess it teaches you discipline but then you know, the pinnacle when you complete it. Mark what drives you? I am very passionate about real estate and I think that's part of the success is because I am passionate about investment property if I was selling homes I'm afraid I wouldn't be passionate about it it just I wouldn't be passionate about it but I'm passionate about helping people create wealth and I've seen people in my career who have actually you know my greatest client has uh, bought and sold 27 properties through me as in just a solitary mum and dad type investor who did a bit of trading on the side as opposed to developers I've sold hundreds of properties for but, um, you know, my oldest client is uh, 89, Mrs. Barrett-Leonard. She's bought a dozen properties from me. And my youngest client is actually in Australia, need to be 18 to own property. She's 17 and she's bought it with a $100,000 inheritance. But she's bought it off plan because she'll be 18 when the property is settled. So I guess I get good satisfaction out of that. And time and time again, I get you know, the joy of dealing with people who I dealt with 20 years ago or I dealt with their father or, you know, so I get a lot of referral business that comes that way. And because there is very few people that understand investment property, and when I started there was zero, I believe, you know, it is a rewarding scenario from there. Obviously the money is great because the money then uh, frees me up to be able to, you know, whether it's a pilot licence, trekking over to uh, Naseko to go skiing or take the kids for a seven week safari through Africa or whatever the money's great but uh, I don't drive fast cars or anything I drive a land cruiser it's the, the money to have the enjoyment my son does multiple skydives you know all these sort of things take a bit of money so uh, and uh, the wealth cre- wealth creation side of teaching people how to create wealth but also have fun fun with their money as well indeed a lot of our staff around us uh, we've been able to take on that same journey indeed one of my best PAs I had when she come to work for me she owned zero properties by the time she left me she left me early because she had actually acquired seven investment properties in that time and she retired early so that's probably what I get out of it Mark why have you been so successful I think it's persistence and passion and and keeping it plain keeping it simple I'm persistent and, you you know, as in prospecting, that's probably the biggest factor you need. It's so easy to get uh, waylaid. So, you know, persistence is probably the biggest thing. And then, you know, you underlay the passion with that. So because I am passionate, then I can sell because people pick up that passion. People buy energy and I don't mean they they 
physically buy it in a monetary sense, but you know, whether it's my developers, they want energy from me to know that I'm doing this even if the market might be crap and it's not doing well. They want my positive energy that's telling them how, where and why. You know, I want, uh, people want to feel good. They want positive energy around them. So, you know, the whole idea of wealth creation and uh, successfully competing Ironmans or whatever it is, it's all about a positivity, a can-do and a positivity that permeates throughout. Mark, if you were advising a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Work out why. Work out why they want to be an agent and work out why they are working. Because if you haven't got enough train tracks to run on, enough things driving you, you're not going to have the passion to be able to you know, be successful. So you want to work out why. And a lot of people don't understand why they work. A lot of people you know, might spend 40 years getting up and going to work every day, paying the mortgage or whatever, but don't understand what they're doing. So I try to teach people to dream. So that dream, like some of my staff have been on three or four month trips around the world because I advocate that, that you've got to have something to dream for and, and think big. So I'm all about big picture, think big. A few years ago, I dreamed up a situation when, when my boys were only 15 and 13. We've got uh, one of the loneliest road treks in the world called the Gun Barrel Highway, and it goes through the middle of the desert and comes out of Alice Springs. So I uh, conjured up the idea that we would take the boys on three motorbikes across the desert, and so we packed up the four-wheel drive with a big trailer, uh, the five kids and my wife, and uh, we rolled the bikes out at the edge of the desert and you know, 1,600 kilometres went across the desert on motorbikes and the 13-year-old and 15-year-old. It was probably one of the best trips and we've travelled. My wife and I, we spent two and a half years backpacking around the world. So when we went into business in 1986, we sold it in two years' time, two years and three months, because I said, look, I want to be in business for two years. I want to sell it and I want to go travelling for two years. So we were in business for two years and three months. We sold it and then we went backpacking around the world in 1989. And so we spent just over two years backpacking around the world and that gun barrel trip would be equal to, you know, taking the family, sleeping under the stars in swag, going across, you know, you had to carry all your own fuel and all your own water. We saw two people the whole time through the trek. One was a policeman in a four-wheel drive going out to a remote Aboriginal camp, and one was another traveller coming the other way. Do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? I think they're invaluable because they give people a different perception. So, you know, somebody in a different marketplace selling different product to a different gender, a different age group are different it just you know i'm all about variety and hearing different stories and different values etc and you only have to pick up one single thing and that can take you down a whole new path so look i'm all about you know into curiosity and what makes people tick and what goes and you only got to pick up one idea and i'd love to hear from any of your clients that might actually uh, pick up this and and the world's a very easy place to communicate. Uh, drop us a line if they've picked up something that's uh, sort of made them move on. It's a little bit like me seeing that video of Bob Boland, and that's just changed my life completely. And it, that was just a gut thing. I didn't even know who Bob Boland was. I didn't know who Mike Ferry was. I just happened to see this video, and that one line just hit like a bloody rocket to me and you know, took me on a, a venture down there. So I'm very very fatalistic in life that uh, things happen for a reason, good, bad or indifferent and uh, you know, life is a great journey so hearing from top producers I, I, whether it's top producers or top athletes or top politicians or people who get things done 
that's why it would frustrate me selling houses. I like dealing with developers and investors and people who snap, snap, get it done, and we'll do this and move and shake. And you know, that gives me excitement. I get bored very quickly. So hearing different people's points of views and how they do it and how it can be done, it's invaluable, Mike. And, and sharing. You know, I, what I find at an elite level, there's a huge amount of sharing. People go out of their way. I, I've been to the leading car dealers here in Perth, and uh, you know, uh, they they will tell you all their secrets and invaluably give you time, as well as the real estate agent. Yeah, at the at the top top sport, I used to ride rodeo. It used to amaze me in rodeo how um, you know the top the top bloody riders would say show you how to do this, and this horse is going to buck that way. Watch this bull here, and you're going to do this, and give you the tips to go out and beat them. It's all about sharing as well. And so that's what your, your type of things bring that very openly to people. Mark, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? I'm very much about energies. Whether it's a client you want to work with with positive energy, you want to take on their negative energy and creating positive energy around you and sharing that, it's easy. You know, what do they say about a smile? It's, it's so contagious. You know, so if you take the same scenario in a positive energy and that positive energy, if it permeates throughout you, it can permeate through your business and then that can be part of your secret of success as well. And that's what you find with a lot of top performers. They do have that burning positive energy. Well, Mark, you have a burning positive energy. You stay true to your belief that real estate investment is the key to wealth creation. You've done it for yourself and taught others how to do it too. You've created an all-in, full-service, real estate investor-focused brokerage and management company. You've helped hundreds of mom-and-pop investors build wealth and retirement. Your small investor model works. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold $61 million homes last year worth $68 million. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.